Hello and welcome to Film Music Friday, the podcast. I am your host, Aaron Smale, and I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of the show. Film Music Friday began as a weekly series of posts on my Instagram story, where each Friday morning I'd feature about 45 seconds of a selected piece of film music and share interesting facts about the composer of the piece, their accolades in film, and their upcoming film projects. After thinking a lot about it and researching the platform, I decided to turn Film Music Friday into a podcast. It'll be a place for me to share my love and passion for film music and hopefully capitalize on your love and passion for film music. Or perhaps it's an opportunity for me to potentially expand your mind and to encourage you to think more critically about film music. Additionally, Film Music Friday will be an entertaining place for you to learn more generally about music, about movies, and about how music exists in the context of film. That being said, we'll also be discussing history, movements in music and film, as well as past and present composers through fun facts, listening and analysis, all easily digestible over the course of 20-minute long episodes. I'm very much looking forward to embarking on this podcasting journey with you, and I hope you'll learn some new things, gain an appreciation for film music if you haven't already, and of course, have lots of fun along the way. Before we get started here, be sure to follow me on Instagram at smail underscore Aaron. That's S-M-A-I-L underscore A-A-R-O-N. I'm always sharing new compositions of my own, various projects I'm working on, and more on that page. Also, be sure to follow the podcast's Instagram account at Film Music Friday, all one word. This ensures that you'll keep up to date with all things related to the podcast and more. Today on Film Music Friday, we're looking at Unsettling the Score, more specifically, unsettling the film score. I myself have often wondered, and maybe you have too, where did film music come from? What does old film music sound like? What instruments are used in a film score? Well, to answer those questions, we have to go back. Not to the future, but to the origins of film music and the earliest days of film. The date is March 22nd, 1895, and we've just sat down to watch a presentation at the Society of the Development of the National Industry in Paris, France. Here we are engrossed and enthralled with 10 short films, each under a minute long, presented by inventors Auguste and Louis Lumière from Lyon, accompanied by a pianist. The films depict different aspects of life, and some are comedic, including L'Arroseur Arrosé, which translates to The Sprinkler Sprinkled. A gardener is watering his plants with a hose, and a boy, whom he can't see, steps on the hose, blocking the flow of water. Stumped, the gardener turns the empty hose on himself and peers inside to see what's wrong. When he does this, the boy releases his foot and water comes out full blast in the gardener's face. <laughs> Classic. He then chases the boy off-screen. It's the first instance of slapstick comedy in film. In December of the same year, the Lumières gave their first commercial screening to about 40 people at Salon Indien du Grand Café in Paris. And this event is traditionally considered to be the birth of cinema. They later took their films on tour in 1896, traveling to London, Montreal, New York City, Palestine, Alexandria, and Buenos Aires. 
Fast forward to the 1910s, dubbed the silent era, because until 1927, most motion pictures didn't have sound connected with the film. They were instead accompanied by live musicians in a small orchestra, by a theater organ, or by a piano. Usually this music was pre-existing and not written for the particular film. Sometimes they even included live sound effects. Interestingly, it's thought that music was initially brought in as a distraction for audiences from the noise of the film projector, as they were not yet kept behind soundproof walls as they are today. Pretty hard to enjoy the film with this in the background. Ew. Now let's listen to some examples of silent film music. They're really quite fun. The new entertainment of film grew larger over the years within the silent era, with production happening all around the world, though mainly in the United States, France, Germany, the United Kingdom, Italy, and Japan. The origins of modern film music began in this time, with some prominent composers of the concert hall writing the occasional film score. In 1908, for example, French composer Camille Saint-Saëns wrote a score for a film called The Assassination of the Duke of Guise. Saint-Saëns is famous for his dance macabre. And his Carnival of the Animals. German cinema was particularly fond of the original score in this time, and Fritz Lang's Die Nibelungen from 1924 and Metropolis from 1927 both contain full-scale orchestral scores, with leitmotifs and everything. Whoa, whoa, hang on. What's a leitmotif? A leitmotif is a recurring or leading theme written for a specific character, place, object, or event. For example, Darth Vader's theme in Star Wars by John Williams. is a leitmotif. Leitmotifs are often altered throughout the film by changing tempo, like how fast the theme goes, or the instrumentation, what instruments are chosen to play the theme in a particular scene. These changes usually reflect a character's mood or changing circumstances. We'll revisit this term a lot on Film Music Friday as it's generally one of the cornerstones of a film score, but in some cases it purposefully isn't. More on that another time. Okay, back to the early history of film music. The first instance of frame-by-frame -frame synchronized music for a film was for an avant-garde short called Entracte in 1924, with music by French composer Eric Satie. He's well known for his Gymnopédies. Satie took precise timings for each sequence in the film, and created a flexible score of short but evocative motifs. 
A bigger landmark in film scoring occurred in 1933 by American composer Max Steiner in his score for David O. Selznick's King Kong. And Max Steiner is generally thought of as the father of modern film scoring. Let's listen to a bit of his score for King Kong. Interestingly, moving forward, the film scoring narratives and instrumentation of the 1940s lagged behind the technical innovations of music in the concert hall, as film music of the day generally featured lavish, large orchestras with grand sweeping melodies, more consistent with grand opera, such as this example from Max Steiner's 1942 score to Casablanca. The 1950s brought the rise of the modernist film score, with famous director Elia Kazan being open to the idea of jazz influences and dissonant scoring. For reference, jazz influence and dissonances had been common in the concert hall for 30 years by this point. Those technical innovations I mentioned earlier? Jazz. You like jazz? A dissonance, by the way, is a harmonic clash between notes, like this. You might say these two notes don't get along. Well, sometimes it doesn't work out, but sometimes it still does, depending on the purpose or tone the composer wants to elicit in their audience. Kazan worked with composer Alex North, whose score for A Streetcar Named Desire in 1951 combined dissonances with elements of blues and jazz. Let's listen to this from the opening scenes of A Streetcar Named Desire. Okay, so now we're going to listen to the same excerpt again, but this time I'm going to highlight the dissonances and the jazz and blues influence, and see how they set the scene for us musically. Definitely more of a jazz rhythm going on. Dissonance there. Dissonance there. And that brass is really a key in the jazz and blues influence. You can feel the passion and tension that exists throughout the film, and North's music kind of beckons you to see just what's going on in this neighborhood, and we soon find out. If you haven't yet seen A Streetcar Named Desire, I highly recommend it, both for the music and for the incredible performances by Vivian Lee and Marlon Brando. And I'm the king around here, and don't you forget it. Other films of the 1950s that explored a similar genre of score include On the Waterfront, score by Leonard Bernstein, Rebel Without a Cause, score by Leonard Rosenman, and Vertigo, score by Bernard Herrmann. With the rapidly changing culture in the United States at this time, these films and their music were instrumental, pun intended, at the beginning of and throughout the cultural shift toward rebellion and civil rights. This brings us to the 1960s, when scoring really took off in a few different directions. But this also brings us to the end of the origins of the modern film score. And so, as for the earlier question of what instruments are at a composer's disposal, we have learned that the orchestra for a film score is similar to that, if not the same as that, of a concert hall.
they mainly consist of four large sections of players. You have your string section with violins, violas, cellos, and basses. Then you have your brass section with trumpets, trombones, French horns, and tubas. And you have your woodwind section with your flutes, clarinets, oboes, and bassoons. And you have the percussion section. Your drums, your timpani, and any other percussion instruments a composer may desire. The makeup of the orchestra is also sometimes dependent on the time and place in which the film is set. Of course, it's ultimately up to the creative decisions of the director or the composer or both, but sometimes a film composer will score their film specifically to bring out the sounds of the place in which the film is set. For example, in the 2018 film Black Panther, which is set in the fictional African nation of Wakanda, Swedish composer Ludwig Göransson himself traveled to Africa and went on tour with Senegalese musician Baba Mal and recorded performances by Mal and other African musicians for use in his score. Now that's dedication. He used specific instruments such as talking drums and a tambin for character themes in the film, and so, combined with the traditional Western orchestra, the African rhythms and featured instruments stand out and make the score entirely unique. Let's listen to an excerpt of this piece from Black Panther entitled Wakanda by Ludwig Göransson. Magnificent. You can hear in the traditional orchestral side of things when the music really swells, a sound not too far away from the music we heard earlier from Casablanca by Max Steiner. But of course, with the prominent use of African drums and rhythms, it takes on a whole new sound and likewise makes a lasting impression on the audience, a unique sound for a unique place and story. Now on the other side of the fence, there are times when a composer may opt for a simpler approach to their score. For example, in another 2018 film, Mary Queen of Scots, starring Saoirse Ronan and Margaret Robbie, the film's composer, Max Richter, opted for a less period approach with his score, as he focused on instrumentation found in the traditional Western orchestra featuring woodwinds, harps, and percussion. Let's listen to this piece from the opening of the film entitled The Shores of Scotland. So, not quite what you'd expect to hear with a title such as The Shores of Scotland. Don't get me wrong, it's majestic and all, and I'm not saying it needed to have bagpipes or a Celtic whistle in the score to make it particularly Scottish, but it leaves me wanting something more to help picture the landscape. It feels too general to me. We're looking at the shores of Scotland on the screen, but it could be anywhere based on the music. I make this judgment to illustrate that at times a composer may not wish to, shall we say, fully furnish their score as Gorenson did with Black Panther. I believe the vast majority of composers will go that extra mile if they are composing for a film set in a place with a particular cultural or native sound, and will make use of the instruments and rhythms at their disposal. Doesn't always happen, though. Now, in our modern era of 2020 and beyond, Composers are being more innovative and more progressive with their scores, opening up new possibilities for the future. 
A lot of modern scores feature electronic music, for example, and that's something I'm beginning to explore with my own scores. As we saw with the modernist film scores in the 1950s, the music is often reflective of the culture in which it occurs, and perhaps it is indeed the soundtrack to that cultural change. That being said, with more films being made now more than ever, there's a great deal of diversity in the kinds of music we're hearing across the many avenues in which films are available to us. The best thing about that is it's not limited to a particular genre of music. Any kind of music has the potential to be interesting. I think the key to a great film score is that desire to go the extra mile, to find a new sound, really striving for something that catches the audience's ears and makes them listen intently to the screen. As world-renowned film composer Hans Zimmer said in his masterclass, if somebody tells you that there's a rule, break it. That's the only thing that moves things forward. And I couldn't agree more. And on that note, pun intended, believe me, I'm getting all the music puns out of the way now so I can spare you the pain later on. <laughs> on that note, I'll wrap up this first episode of Film Music Friday. If you're still listening at this point, I'd like to thank you so, so much for doing so. I hope you enjoyed this, the inaugural episode of Film Music Friday. And if so, please follow and share the podcast on social media, currently on Instagram, again at Film Music Friday. Well, I'll also be sharing my vision and plan for the podcast going forward. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay well, my friends. This has been Film Music Friday, the podcast, and I'm your host, Aaron Smale. Thanks for listening. 